So uh, 2,000 years ago, there was a pagan named Nicander, N-I-C-A-N-D-E-R. And he um, made a cookbook. And in the cookbook, he was discussing the um, washing and pickling of vegetables. And he used a Greek word for washing vegetables, babto. And then he used another Greek word for pickling vegetables, baptizo. And one of the things that I love about that reference from Nicander is that it kind of speaks to us of what's happening in baptism. We and the church have held for many, many years that something more like pickling is happening than just washing. Now, the ceremony itself is relatively benign. I mean, to try to approximate baptizo, a pickling of a vegetable, you know, we'd have to put a lot of vinegar in here and hold the kids under for a little longer than we would want to. But we trust the Holy Spirit's work to come and be involved in that process. And so I just want to say to you that God wants to get not just the outsides, but he wants to get at the very depths of your life. That is what the work of the Holy Spirit is. And that's what baptism speaks to us all about. The Lord is always wanting to do inside work. Delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the banks. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Hard ending. Father, we ask you to help us to hold these words from Jesus. We pray, God, that you would give us the courage to look at our lives and to look at what you have gifted each and every one of us. And I pray, God, that like the first two servants, we would do something with what you've given us. God, I ask you to help us reject scarcity and fear to move through those things into the life you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So at the very beginning, I just want to say this. Jesus is not telling us a story here that nets out to you better do something impressive with what you have or you're going to go to hell. The third person, and we're going to talk about him in a few minutes, fundamentally distrusted, cynically believed 
this is a bad situation, this is a bad guy, and I'm not going to put any risk into play because there was a breach of relationship, a fundamental distrust of the character of his master. This was not just about not making a good return on your investment. He actually, the master says to him, you could have just put it in the bank and that would have been okay. So I just wanna say this is not about get busy or you might end up in hell. That's, that's not what I think Jesus is actually saying here. So what is he saying? There are a few movements that I wanna hold. One is just exploring talents for a few moments. Uh, scholars have, have debated and there's a wide range of understanding of the monetary value of a talent. On one hand, scholars and lots of them actually believe that a talent was equal to um, like, well, I'm gonna read it so I get it exactly right, that a talent was equal to uh, about 20 years of a day laborer's wage. Others suggest that a talent would be equal to about 28,000 US dollars at this point. So that's a big discrepancy. Day laborers did not make a lot of money in the ancient world, but still, it's a lot. What Jesus is trying to get us to see is whether we're talking about years of wages or 28,000 US dollars, if I walked up to you after church and said, here's $28,000, go do something with it, that would not be insignificant. And so I think that's really important because we live in a world driven by anxiety and comparison. Because one person got five of those, whatever monetary equivalent would be. One got two and one got one. And so if we're not careful, we hear a story like this and think, well, the poor person that got one, like, gosh, really, like that person really got hosed by the master. But if if a master, if a, a leader, an owner of an estate handed you 28,000 US dollars and said, go do something with it, that would not be nothing. And I believe that the nature of the story Jesus is telling is this, God in his abundance, and y'all, the, the word abundance actually falls short here because God, the owner, the master, the estate owner, even with the five talents, which by most measures would be almost an astronomical sum of money, says you've been faithful with a little, i.e. what I have, that's a drop in the proverbial bucket that God is a God of absolute abundance. And that out of his abundance, he has gifted each of his image-bearing children with gifts that are not theirs to possess, but are theirs to put into play. You, as an image-bearing daughter of God, have been given gifts, and God wants you to put them into play for him and for the world around you. And when we look at other people and think, well, I don't have what they have, or more in a more sinister way, when we look at the mythology that other people create through platforms on social media and think, well, they clearly have it better than me, or it's clearly different from them, that can engender in us a kind of scarcity mindset that begins to tell us that what we do have is not enough. And I just want to say that I think Jesus was heading that off at the pass when he told this story to a group of people who would have understood what a talent represented. What Jesus is saying is God gives everybody, according to their capacity, 
but he gives everybody more than enough. He's a God of abundance. And so what I want you to hear, if you hear nothing else that I say, I want you to hear that God has gifted you with unique talents, no pun intended, that are meant to be put to use for him and for the world around you. And that if you negatively compare and price yourself out of the game, you're actually missing out on a remarkable opportunity to be useful and to bring glory and to bring good into the world. That's how God made it. And he wants all of us to recognize that what we have. So I would just ask you, what has God given you? What gifts and abilities do you have? And, and I don't want you to primarily think about money. Money is a gift and ability to do good in the world or to do evil in the world. But let's get back, let's get bigger than that. What, what traits, what areas of influence, what passion has he given you that he's meant for you to put to good use? What are your God-given gifts? We all have them. They're not all the same, but we all have them. And if we can begin to think about where our passion and ability intersects with the need around us, whether that's in our home or with our friends or in our jobs, that's an area where we begin to see where the Lord wants to put our lives in play. So the second slide, two servants put their master's resources to work. Now, if we're thinking about a talent, potentially, let's just go conservative, $28,000. Um, so 28,000 times two, a lot of money. Um, I'm a liberal arts guy. I do not want to do math in front of you right now because I know I'll mess it up. 40, I'm not going to do it. 50, something, something like that. It's a lot. So the one person goes five and adds five more. The other person, two and adds two more. If we were living in a competitive met, uh, meritocracy, it would be like the master saying, you amazing. You, you could have done better. But what do they hear? They hear the precise exact same thing. The master looks at these two people who did not bring similar return relative to one another. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The pay is the same. Jesus is trying to get us to see that when he gifts us, when he gives us, endows us with gifts, that he means to be put to use, that whether or not we do something huge seemingly, or maybe a little more mundane, if we put our lives into play, the pay is the same. And I wanna tell you something about the ancient world. We live in a modern world that tells us that if we're not starting nonprofits and like curing poverty in the world or solving water issues in the world, then we might as well not even try. If you can't go big, you might as well go home. Y'all, the Jews were living as an oppressed people under a foreign military occupying power. Jesus never traveled more than 80 miles from his home. These were not people who could go start nonprofits. They did not have a brand to develop. So to a people who were pedestrian and local and rural and poor and oppressed, Jesus said, put your life in play. You do not have to cure the problems of the world and gain notoriety in order to hear God say, well done. 
One of my favorite Christian thinkers, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, who is in heaven with the Lord, once said, whether you raise the dead or take a nap, if you're doing what God asks you to do, the pay is the same. If we can begin to wrap our heads around the fact that if God is asking you to take care of your friends, to tend to the sphere of influence that you have, which might in a world obsessed with image look obscure or mediocre or not that big of a deal. If we can begin to believe that Jesus is telling the truth when he says, I will honor you for that, just like I would honor someone who goes and solves world hunger. We're beginning to get close to the spirit of what Jesus is saying. You have been given as an image bearing child of God you have been giving gifts from God. He's saying, just use them. The pay's the same. The stuff nobody sees, the stuff everybody sees, God doesn't much care. I actually think he may prize some of the more invisible stuff more than the visible stuff. So two people put their gifts in play and their gifts are not the same, but they hear the same thing. The third person buries his master's resources. Here's the problem. This guy is dominated by scarcity. He's afraid of failure and he doesn't believe in the goodness of his master. Scarcity tells me there's not enough. A fear of failure tells me don't risk. And at the end of the day, putting your life in play is all about risk. And this guy didn't risk. And in part, he didn't risk because he was afraid of his master. I mean, he said things to his boss that you just don't say to your boss, much less God. Like, you're hard. You take things that you didn't even invest in. Like, you're a scary guy. Scarcity, I think, robs us so much of the time from being used and being useful to God. And scarcity is not just about money. It's actually not primarily about money. Scarcity is that feeling of, I don't have enough. And we talk about this image at, at Trinity uh, often because I think it's actually one of the best images around scarcity. So let's think about the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 tell us that there were lots of people and that this kid had some food, right? Do you mean to tell me that he was the only person who brought food out in the countryside that day. There's no way. There were no McDonald's. There was no Chick-fil-A. There were no grocery stores. People knew that if you went out to the countryside, you brought food for your family. But the grown-ups looked at their food, looked at all the people and thought, I better hide this because there's not enough for me and for you. And it was just a kid who was dumb enough to share. As we get older, scarcity tells me there's not enough for me and you. Scarcity tells me I don't have enough love, I don't have enough energy, I don't have enough hope, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time. So we hoard. And I believe that one of the things Jesus is wanting us to confront are where are the places where we're dominated by scarcity? You might be super wealthy by the world's standards and yet completely owned by a sense of scarcity. This is not primarily about money. This is about what we believe. 
Jesus is saying, I want you to put what you have, even if what you have doesn't feel like enough. Like the little boy, right? Five and two, not enough for thousands. But in this story, Jesus is saying, whatever it is you have been given is enough. It may not seem like what the person sitting next to you has been given, but it's enough. It's significant. It's meaningful. So he's saying, would you put it to use? I believe the Lord wants us to confront scarcity in us, in our own stories, in our own lives. For me, I think the last couple of years in part has been an exercise in confronting scarcity. Where do I not believe in God's ability to be good and to give me what I need to be who I'm supposed to be? When we compare When we live our lives in a sense of comparison, it fosters poverty and scarcity. I remember uh, Karen and I, I I said at the first service that um, sheep outnumber people in England 10 to one. That was, you know, 90% of statistics are made up on the spot. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, So a, a very helpful gentleman came up to me and said, actually in England, um, people outnumber sheep two to one, but that's still pretty impressive. Not as good as my 10 to one idea of the other direction. Sheep are everywhere. Where my wife and I lived in the countryside, sheep for sure outnumbered people 10 to one. I remember one day we were trying to find the ocean in a rural place and we climbed into someone's field for sure we were trespassing, but in England that's totally fine because they have these footpaths that you can just walk through. And I remember encountering sheep for the first time in the wild. And it was, I was scared. I actually asked our, our friends, I said, are they dangerous? And he was like, nope, <laughs> they're not. And here we are in the middle of this beautiful green grassy field. I mean, it was amazing. And there's a barbed wire fence and I watched a lamb crane its neck through the barbed wire fence to eat grass on the other side of the fence. And I thought, ah, oh, that's where that saying comes from. There's plenty here. But she wanted that. And we get robbed of what God has given us in terms of the plenty when we're always wanting that. It steals from you. So there are two questions I want you to hold before we come to communion. Let's put them up. Number one, I want to invite you to reflect on the places in your life where you are being hindered by scarcity and a fear of failure. And then connected to that, I would love for you to reflect on the places in your life where you struggle to trust in God's character and his motives toward you. I would invite you to take your phone out. I think I'm going to continue to say it. I think you should all be journaling. And, and I think one of the gifts of journaling is that it helps you hold ideas beyond just for a moment. And so maybe this week in your journal, you could spend time reflecting on these ideas. And think about the synergy of that. If we're all kind of reflecting on the same ideas, we're all praying the same prayers, it it actually creates a kind of a shared economy where we're beginning to recognize, okay, I'm I'm leaning into this, you're leaning into this. And so I just want to be courageous and invite you to do that. And then maybe circle up with some friends to go like, man, I've been thinking about this some. But for now, let's just be still for a moment to hold these ideas and then we're going to come together to this communion table. First, let's just be still in a moment of reflection.